0: Hello and welcome back to the With a Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan Hughes. I'm Aaron Saduko, and we're back. We had a a week off for two reasons. The uh, ostensibly, it was because it was Thanksgiving, and the second was because when we went to record, I didn't have a voice, so that wasn't. (laughs) Thanks for giving and thanks for taking (laughs) the voice. It wasn't very conducive to a, an auditory medium where you're only hearing my voice. So, no, we thought about
1: having an episode where I would just monologue at Dan and he would nod or shake his head vigorously, but we figured that would give me too
0: much power and not enough uh, balance. <laughs> we could do that if we get video. If we decide to do a video podcast. One of the many reasons us... to
1: take this to the streaming verse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> one of Think of p- the mimed. multiple factors we could open up to really make the most of a podcast. <laughs> all the different media. pantomimed um, podcasts.
0: That's where all the money is, dude. That's it. But this week, we figured uh, we would just kind of talk about, you know, maybe catch up on a few things. Um, talk about games we're playing, as always. Uh, talk a little about the game awards that are coming up on Thursday, the seventh. Um, cause they're always, uh, fun to talk about. And actually I think there's, uh, remind me to come back to this point because there's mm-hmm. something that, uh, I can't remember if you were aware of Aaron, cause I know, I think you saw like highlights and things, but I want to come back to this because the real question of the game awards is, is that kid going to show up again? Oh and, no, uh, that's yeah. one of those things I only know through you, but I'm growing right. all the same because of course so I do. We'll we'll come back to that because he's been in two of them now, like unbelievably. So two? Uh, I thought it was just the one time. No, he showed up again. I think it was oh, at the great. at the summer uh, the summer game fest or something. Like good, just, Th- that yeah. must be a good thing for the world. Which speaks volumes about their security, but you'd think that <sighs> they'd at least be on the lookout for that one guy. <laughs> Yeah, they're on the lookout and they let him in because he's evolved into this stupid fucking meme. Well, that's... Okay, so that's... uh, We might as well talk about it now. (laughs) You opened the door, counsel. I did. did. Sidebar. Your Honor. Uh, Watch yourself. Um, You're on a short leash. You know what?
1: I'm binging the practice right now so we can make as many legal-related jokes as we want.
0: Much to everyone's chagrin. My favorite is and always will be in any, in any legal procedural, um, I'll allow it, but watch yourself counselor (laughs) or you're on thin ice counselor. I always go
1: back to the touchstone of Lucille Booth shouting mistrial, mistrial.
0: (laughs) Like Michael Scott declaring a mistrial. That's just, right. <laughs> I declare a mistrial.
1: Hey, I just wanted to let you know, nothing is going to happen in
0: the legal system just because you declared <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
0: But I do, I do wonder, because, all right, one time, for those of you who aren't aware, there's this kid. He's either a kid or he's like a weird Benjamin Button kind of person. I can't, <laughs> it's hard to tell. But uh, he was on stage at the Game Awards in twenty twenty one, I believe, because that's Elden Ring came out in twenty twenty one, right? So, uh yeah, uh, that's right. So yeah. he came yeah, because he inter or he was on stage with Miyazaki and his development team as they accepted game of the year for Elden Ring. And No, it was twenty twenty two. It was twenty twenty two. Okay. That's right. All okay. the years
1: are blur. We're old men filled with regret waiting it's to die. All- it's all just uh much like miyazaki son but in a sadder and less lucrative way
0: yes and it's all just a number of different game awards blurring together that's right but he got up on stage and was uh very weird and um you can find the clip obviously but the weirdest thing was that uh he just he managed to get up there there was no um you know pushback or backlash nobody wondered who this like you know, four foot tall white kid was standing with the <laughs> Japanese development team of Elden Ring. Um, so then he was the custom another. character. That's right. <laughs> he had the big cheeks with the mm-hmm. the narrow the, eyes, the know, tiny like, head. Mm-hmm. Um, then he came back at summer at the summer version, which Jeff Keighley also hosts. And so now I do wonder if it's going to be a a situation where um, because he's this kind of professional troll who has now become part of the history of the game awards, like at what point is it going to about face and become an accepted situation? And like, he'll actually be hosting part of like, he'll be announcing (laughs) something, you know? I mean, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, it raises
1: the question because you're so much more tuned into the, award circuit than I am, by which I mean I'm not at all, and you have an <laughs> awareness of it, that I, I just find myself wondering how cynical versus sincere it is overall, because you know, more substantively, we've been talking for quite a bit over the last couple of years about the overall trajectory of stories that the industry is concerned with telling, kind of veering away from cynicism and towards sincerity in many cases, I think even more broadly than video games. But I don't know whether that passes through to the awards circuit, or if it's one of those inverted relationships, or if awards are just intrinsically cynical, I could see it cutting any number of ways.
0: It's, uh, and it's weird. Um, it's it's particularly weird with the Game Awards because the Game Awards is Jeff Keeley, who I whom I have a lot of respect for. I think he's a a good dude who really loves video games and is also very um, upstanding for people who work in the industry. He's a, he's a good man, I think. Um, but it's also clear that he's kind of, I think speaking out of both sides of his face a little bit when it comes to um, having like a really great celebration for video games, but then also embracing the entirely commercial aspect of the industry because Hmm. the game awards famously is where like a million announcement trailers and like gameplay looks and like it's, it's very commercial. And so maybe it's just a, a situation where it needs to be, commercial so that the other kind of heartwarming things can happen naturally and that they can be funded. Um, but I do think that that equilibrium gets kind of offset as time goes on and as the people who originally formed the Game Awards start stepping away. So, I mean, let me put it this way. I, I would be absolutely surprised if this year at the Oscars, there isn't some big slap joke that happens. Like there's no way they're not doing it. I think Jimmy Kimmel is hosting. There's no way they're Mm -hmm. not leaning into the skid and just beating the horse of a dead meme like crazy because they know if they didn't say anything, it would be weird. And they know that like they have no choice. Right. And I think that that's part and parcel with how long that award show has gone on. So it's only a matter of time before, uh, Martin Evan is, you know, introducing, um, from software as they receive their award for Elden Ring two or whatever.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: it kind of does create a
1: culture unto itself, the award circuit, doesn't it? Yes. I guess it is nice just to take a moment to appreciate that games are getting to that place where you know, they can have something comparable to the Oscars and more of those quote unquote established, um, awards that other media have so that's something at least
0: and it it's it is I think worth watching because I do truly believe that um Jeff Keighley at the head of it and then the other people who present and who he kind of has um under him for the show uh care about games like we do um Mm -hmm. which is really refreshing and you know I think that uh you to to kind of take his integrity um, at its face, you really only need to look at a few examples. Like I remember how he very clearly called out Konami for not allowing Hideo Kojima to accept an award. Um, Like he very, very angrily (laughs) announced that Mm -hmm. um, because they're good friends and obviously he respects his work. Um, Or when he, patently called out Activision Blizzard for their horrible business practices that were damaging their employees. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Not a lot of, uh, I think, mainstream industry people are able to do that, and I think he's mm-hmm. managed to hold on to that while really clearly loving video games. So I, do, I, d- I did want to shout out the Game Awards a little bit because I think it's a, it's a cool thing. So
1: do you have any hopes or things on your mind for what may or may not happen or you know might be shown at the game awards this year? Anything like that?
0: Shown is always the fun thing. Um, because I think a lot it's like the Oscars, a lot of the awards are kind of foregone conclusions. Mm-hmm. Like last year it was obvious that um, the guy who played Kratos was going to be like best voice performance. Um, but then you watch it because, uh, even though you knew that was going to happen, what you didn't know was going to happen was that he was going to give a 15 minute speech with Al Pacino, just standing behind him, wondering what he should be doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. No, that wouldn't have been on my bingo card either.
0: But I think, um, in terms of like announcements, um, I would love I mean really I just want like another Kingdom Hearts four trailer at this point. Um hmm. I don't know if we're gonna get that because the missing link uh is in its beta right now, so it's kind of the focus for Square, I think, but um Oh, I know um I don't know if you heard about this, but Yoko Taro and his partner, his like creative partner, um said that they are working on something
1: they're
0: being very them about it but they did say that it's nearly done i think i wonder if that means it's nearly done i think the pun <laughs> translates yeah <laughs> do you have anything no, that,
1: that's exciting any blue sky hopes no actually um yoko Taro, for whatever reason was on my mind maybe he just penetrated my subconscious as he is want to do or I read something and forgot about it um, or the timing is just right uh, since Automata. I uh, know they've been doing a lot of stuff with, um, I think it's called reincarnation, their mobile game as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what happens next there. No, I mean, I'm still waiting with bated breath as I know you and so many folks are for shadow of the air tree. So I'm interested in whatever yeah. updates we may or may not get from, from soft uh, on that or other scores Um, and I'm interested to see which way the wind blows with just Bamco more broadly. I mean, between that and the wings and then, um, the DLC that they just dropped for Tales of Arise. I don't know if that means another mothership title is on the way for that, or if it's going to take a little while and they were giving us something to tide us over until then. So yeah, I, I, as you know, I try not to anticipate too much because I love forgetting about things and then being delighted when like, Oh, I suddenly discover, Oh, there's this sequel for Alan Wake on the way, or, Oh, that sequel <laughs> for Alan Wake that you forgot about dropped. And now you can play it and eat it up whenever you want to, or, Oh, you're too buried in other exciting things. So you can't even pick up and play that sequel for Alan Wake. You were so stoked about, uh, it's, uh, it is, just, it's fun to see what comes of
0: it. I was just looking at some of the award categories. Alan Wake two is up for best game direction. I've heard um, awesome things. You yeah. know, Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I would be, I would be shocked if there wasn't something about Rebirth, um, because that's one of their most, I'm, I'm in quotes, most anticipated games, Hmm. but I don't really want to see anything else for that. Um, with it being so close, I just want to dive in. Yeah. Um, but you know, now that you say shadow of the yard tree, I would, I would actually be surprised if we didn't get something for that. That's, that's like the perfect venue for that given from. And I had been
1: expecting, we might be seeing it in the latter half of this year. Um, Mm -hmm. but now that feels like a vanishing possibility. So I do feel like given the timing with which they announced it, they, I don't want to say they owe us something because I'm also happy when they just drop things by surprise and that's a lot of fun but which they've done it'd be nice to get some kind of update oh yeah definitely <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah no i think uh i i mean 2023 was such a good game for or good year for game releases that i feel like a mm-hmm. lot of the things i was waiting on actively came out this year uh and now i'm in that kind of nice space where there's a few things on the horizon that I know I'm going to eat up like rebirth, obviously the new, like a dragon game, um, Mm. the sequel to Ichiban's story, which I'm very excited about. Um, but I think I'm in that position where unlike when Elden ring was about to come out or when final fantasy seven remake was about to come out, I'm content to wait and just sink my teeth into them. And Mm -hmm. as you say, if I'm, if I forget the day that like a dragon eight comes out and I find it like a month later, I won't be too upset. I'll just enjoy it when I see it. Absolutely.
1: Well, it's kind of that nice, um, like. Almost antithetical feeling to the one that we were talking about a few weeks ago, where on the one hand, there are some games where you feel like you need to just immediately dive into it purely for the sake of avoiding spoilers, which Mm. can be kind of exhausting and stressful. And then on the other hand, there are some nice games that are beautiful and of such quality and are so up your alley, but are sufficiently under the radar that it's possible to just ignore them and then stumble into them and discover them purely fresh, which I feel like in some ways can be so rewarding and lucrative for the actual gaming experience that you have with them, because then it's so much more organic, right? Both in terms of how little you know about it and in terms of you just being able to discover it of your own volition rather than having it shoved down your throat. So it's nice that that's still possible in this day and age.
0: I think also the... The more that I am able to avoid things, I find that, uh, you know, this is, this is maybe something that we don't talk about too often when we talk about spoilers, because I think that when when we say spoilers, a lot of people think just like figuring out what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Or like plot elements. Mm-hmm. But a big spoiler for me, and I know it's the same for you, Aaron, is um, hearing somebody's opinion on something. Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. uh, that will color my, my reading of it, no matter what I try to do. Like if I hear, even if somebody says like, Oh, this was a real disappointment. And if I see that like 10 or 15 times, I'm going to think like, okay, now I I have to go into this with like a defensive eye. Right. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. if it's, you know, it's amazing then I'm going to go into it and be like, well, how amazing is it really? (laughs) And so the less I hear the better.
1: Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the Tales of Praxis stream, we were talking about um, this experience and way of recommending games that I know is something you and I do all the time. And I have to imagine it's a pretty common phenomenology amongst people who think a lot about games and are friends with people who think a lot about games. Um, this regular on the stream, Pottery Breaking, said there's, you know, one phrase that people will tell me that is like my trigger way of uh, getting You know, knowing that I need to pick up a game and it's when they say, I can't tell you anything about it. You just have to sit down and play it. And I think that, you know what I mean? Because we say that to each other all the time. And I think there is something that is so special to that and representative of the gaming medium because completely agree. Uh, We haven't talked about it. On the podcast, I don't think, although we certainly gave that whole lecture uh, at PAX South a few years ago, back when that was a thing on exactly this. And my favorite example, which is one that I can't go into because you just have to play it, and even talking about a color's experience in the way you're talking about, is spec ops, right? I mean, people Mm -hmm. oftentimes have such a narrow view of spoilers in terms of saying, like, oh, as long as someone isn't talking about, like, the literal climax and resolution of the story, everything else is fair game, which strikes me as just very myopic and kind of a, a misunderstanding of what the impact of spoilers uh, can be, just in the sense of like in so many games, and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as Spec Ops, but Spec Ops, A, if it's a game that you're hearing about for the first time listeners and you've never played it, find or dust off you know, an Xbox 360 and play it Uh, because there's a reason it's one of the most critically acclaimed and critically discussed games of all time. But it's also one of those games where the entire experience of what it's talking about and its story very centrally depends on you not knowing what's going on when you sit down and play it. Um, And you're totally right, Dan. I mean, especially when I'm in like a network of gamers where I know people have pointed perspectives on games and that they think about them in certain ways. Like if you were to tell me, oh, you should play this but you know be warned that I don't like it because of this reason or you should play it I think it's really cool like even something as minimal as that especially when I know where you're coming from and your perspective of it can totally change the you know the um, the maxims that are guiding my actions and decision making in the game which can totally change um, the output of what the game is talking about and what I get from it Um, which might be what you want you know if you want to kind of you know, have a gaming experience that's colored by someone's particular perspective on it. But I think it, uh, it's, it's a deeply different experience than just going in and treating a game as an exercise in your own autonomy and discovery of what it is that it wants to show you about yourself.
0: I think that, uh, I'm so also, you know, what's the, um, what's the, uh, the dsm term it's like oppositional defiance (laughs) disorder you know um because when somebody tells me like oh you would love this like i immediately Mm. turn i well okay i'm better i'm better at it now that i'm older But for a very long time, like I missed out on so many cool things that I did love because somebody told me I would like it. And I was like, people saying that you
1: would enjoy it, like threatened you into (laughs)
0: obstinately
1: not engaging with that thing. I suffered for that because of you for many years, by the way, (laughs) the number of fucking things I recommended to you. Like, can we chart the amount of time between my first telling you about the Tale series and you picking up your goddamn first one? Probably yeah. not even because of me, but just because it stumbled onto your radar for unrelated reasons. Yeah. <laughs> not that I, think... I still have a chip on my shoulder
0: about it, <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's true, though. And I think sometimes it's, but sometimes it was like, all right, you, because I, here's the thing. I don't know that you ever said to me, like, you would love it, right? I think you always phrased it to me as, um, like you should play it, which is what you said earlier, which I think is a better way to say something or like, there's a lot of things that I think you'll appreciate about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me is a, at least for a long time, it was a way for me to say like, okay, that, that, especially like coming from you, like, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I get, I should probably look into this. (laughs) And I think that, uh, the thing that I really like about recommendations now is just when somebody says you have to play it. It doesn't always mean like you have to play it because you're going to love it. It's like Mm. you, you should, you should, you have to play it. Like, I can't tell you what it's about, you know, or I can't, I can't give you the experience. You have to play it. So there's recommendations and I'm putting I'll do scare quotes. Recommendations I've gotten <laughs> where people are like, Yeah, you have to play it because in there parenthetically for them, they're like, Because you will hate it. <laughs> and you'll <people> have something <laughs> right. to say, right? right? So I think that like to me, it's such a mystery, that phrase, like you have to play it, mm. that I just I take it more as like, it's worth your time to invest energy into. Right. So maybe because- the difference then
1: is because I, I can relate to this too. Like if someone tells you, Oh, you should play it. Cause I know you would love it. Or even you should play it. Cause I know you would hate it. It's kind of prejudging what your evaluation of the thing will be. And so mm-hmm. whatever reactions you then have, if you sit down and play it, they're kind of in a weird way, filtered through someone else's expectations of you, where you feel like either, okay, in order to be like authentically me, according to the expectations that are put up by this other person, I have to really enjoy this experience. Or if not, I have to like preemptively come up with a justification for why I usually think this way about games, but it's not. (laughs) But not in this case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like mental gymnastics overlaid onto the playing of the game. This is,
0: This is such a Seinfeldian bit because it's like, you know, you're, you know, like I'm thinking of this from like a Costanza perspective where it's like, you know, oh, you should, you should play that because you'll love it. And uh, like a George Costanza reaction to that would be like, okay, so what happens? Either I love it and then the entire recommendation was a moot point because I like we both know. So we're just we're back to where we were and all I've done is play a game or. I'm wrong. And you're setting me up for an (laughs) argument later. This is either way. This is a chore.
1: (laughs) And then Elaine says, all right, George, I was just trying to give you something nice so that you could have something else in your life to enjoy. I'm sorry. I'll never speak again. Jerry, I got a Neo Geo working. (laughs) But yeah so i think and and i think i think if we're charitable to other people this is usually what they mean but perhaps one of the ways in in which we can think about like the language being a little bit more conducive to more thoughtful recommendations is to say something like i know that if you sat down and play this you would end up valuing your experiences in it for one reason or another mm-hmm. right because i think yeah. something like that that opens up the aperture to any range of ways in which you might decide to take a certain meaning from it but it recommends it as an object that you'll find interesting not in the dismissive way but in the sense that like you'll have something that you end up valuing about it whether that's positive or negative or even just you know through word association with some other thing that you love or hate
0: yeah i think it's you know it's nice at this point in my life to just have a list of things that I don't, I don't see them as, uh, obligations, but like conversations that will happen in the future, you know, like when I, when I get mm-hmm. around to them. So I think before, I don't know, it's, uh, it's nice to get older and be less intense about things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I think, uh, uh you know, as, uh, as one ages, if one does it right, you know, you get more complex, but more mellow for mm-hmm. it more uh, more drinkable as they
0: say <laughs> well i i mean i've got this example right so i saw um maddie wanted to see uh the ballad of songbirds and snakes the new hunger right. games movie that's a prequel and you and i were talking in our uh, our messenger chat i was like have you seen these movies because i i remember like vaguely seeing one like maybe with a rift tracks <laughs> behind it that's probably <laughs> that how i've right. seen it yeah and um and you said, yeah, I th- you know, I remember there, you know, I remember liking them and, uh, I went and I saw it and really great performances, like really interesting story. And, um, now we're watching the other ones cause it was, you know, mm-hmm. interesting enough for me to say like, well, what was going on there? You know? And I think that, uh, I don't know, I don't know that I would have done that. Like when these movies were coming out, in fact, I know I didn't because I was like, I don't care about these, you know? <laughs>
1: No, I was going to say, if anything, the one Dan Hughesism from the uh, the earlier days, which that calls to mind, would be more in line with um, your response to the Twilight movies, when you would j- just enjoy like <laughs> amazingly lampooning them and just yes. like dragging them over hot coals of satire for the sake of making a joke out of it all. That was, which is yeah. also a way in which to approach it, but much more. Um, I I don't know. Cynical. cynical maybe yes yeah. yeah. so i was yeah. trying to think of a different word but i guess no, it's cynical. cynical
0: yeah <laughs> i mean when we when we went to see the um you know the last one and there's right. that like pull away that was based it, it's basically the equivalent of it was all a dream i remember <laughs> the entire theater like gasping and like people saying no and i was just cackling my head off <laughs> yeah, at how like the stupid i found it yeah so <laughs> Now I it, there was cynical is the right word for how I approach those Twilight movies, but I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. So you know, ultimately,
1: that's what it all came down to. You knew that you would love it just for your own very Dan yes. use reasons. Yes, and to be able yeah. to play different games with those works nowadays, where you can appreciate them more sincerely, even if you would also do riff tracks of them. I think, uh, yes, even if not more mellow there's a certain kind of flexibility that that recommends i think
0: but i mean i i still hated that stupid five nights at freddy's movie so it's not like i'm you know i'm not i haven't completely ascended into bodhisattvaism
1: here well and then you know that raises the further question of where does one draw the line between being cynical and being literate so <laughs> we're not <granddad. laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> fair enough yeah, that's another <laughs> there are medication. different degrees yep. so let me ask you this we're in december now it's the first mm. podcast we're doing in december as you said we're, we're looking forward to end of the year game review um media do mm. you have any particular way in which you approach gaming to wrap up the year like do you go back mm. to old favorites that were, you know, new releases this year? Do you go back to older games? Are there holiday games that come to mind for you? Because like the way we sit down and pop on holiday movies, I always find myself wanting to do that with games, but mm. never really end up with good ideas for it. Do you Have you like grown into a certain philosophy about that over the years?
0: Um, no, I don't think so. I think it's it's fairly sporadic, although I am like, I'm going back through Pokemon games, but that's because I'm, streaming and looking to get my uh, Pokemon Rose like back to where it was. So it depends. I think it depends on uh, like DLC schedule sometimes will influence what I go back to. So the uh, second Pokemon DLC, the Indigo um, the Indigo Disc is coming out on the 14th. So, you know, I'm going back through Scarlet and Violet kind of lazily just to um, have fun with those again. But no, definitely not like any holiday games. I'm way more holiday themed for Halloween. I think maybe because it's just easier. I don't know. Well, yeah, because
1: it recommends a whole genre in a way. That, yeah. Like,
0: the holiday movie is a
1: genre. I, I, mm. uh, at least on first pass, I would not say that we really have a holiday genre of game at this point.
0: Not really. Although, you know, so we're going to be getting together for Christmas, which is awesome. And, Mm -hmm. uh, what I think about is I get more excited for like social gaming, I think, because Mm. like, I know we're going to play like (laughs) with our friend Matt there, we're going to play those Jackbox games. I'm sure, you know, um, you know, we'll probably break out smash. Um, and I think like I get more, I don't seek that out usually during the Mm. year. Um, but when we have like holiday parties and stuff, that's my favorite games to play Mm. so
1: So, holiday is a sense of just communal gaming and associating with people whereas it's more of a solitary activity for you usually that makes sense yeah i feel the pull of that
0: i think Um, do you do you feel like the same the same way because i don't know uh, unless you have a surprise uh christmas narrative game that you're going to bring i I always sit down and play
1: the 2004 gamecube edition of the polar (laughs) express come hell or high water I, I think I do actually Halloween. have that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I ever played it all the way through, but I, do, I think I do have that on my shelves. God bless my parents. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely. I wouldn't have thought of the social aspect off the top of my head, but that rings true to me. I think the mm-hmm. other thing that comes to mind for me is like. It's, it's frustrating because this is not a kind of game that you can play, but I think it's certainly a kind of mindset that one can facilitate, especially if one lives in places where it snows. So not you in Texas right now, but me in Colorado, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, especially right now, as I'm working through Namco's Tales games uh, for my Tales of Praxis series, like I like to talk about, and I might even have referred to them um, by this name uh, with you, these flanor scenes, which for those who are not in the know. Yeah. Um, so tales of symphonia follows a, a very tried and true JRPG standard, um, which is even more formulaic in the tales games of, you know, late in the story, usually just before the climax, thereabouts, uh, the party gets together in a town for, you know, the last night on earth kind of reflections, uh, and points of resolution before the final battle where everything comes to a head. Um, and in several of the Tales games, enough for it to feel thematically tied together in this way. Uh, these resolution scenes happen in snowy areas of the world. Uh, Flanore being the name of the snowy town that it happens in, um in Tales of Symphonia. And so I think like there is something to me that just feels very sort of wintry and reflective, um, especially about that trope in the Tales series where, you know, it's it's snowy and it's also specifically focused on resolutions and so the context mm-hmm. is not just like the quietude of winter, but also a lot of what we do as we, you know, look back on a year and look forward to the new year, right? Like, let's look at the journey so far and let's figure out how we want to distill everything we've been through in the past into principles that can guide what it is that we're going to do next. So, of course, it's hard to just sit down and uh, and shotgun a bunch of those scenes since they usually (laughs) come at about hour 45 or so of
0: 50 to 55 hour games uh, in the name of the holiday season. That's, that's
1: right. right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's it's nice to try to enact the spirit of that moment of gameplay in, uh, in the, well, I guess in the social moments that we have with with each other in our real-life JRPG parties in December, mm-hmm. if we're lucky.
0: I think the, the yeah, wintry games, I mean, because that's what immediately came to my mind when you asked that, um, you know, games that are... Uh, like weirdly, so this came up, I think on your stream the other day when I popped in, but, um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories oh a, sure, yep. is a very, uh, good game for that. And I think what I'm, what I'm thinking of is kind of like the, the warmth of personal connection, despite frozen exteriors is a good mm-hmm. kind of game to play. I mean, I think that's similar to the Flanor the Flannor scenes. Definitely. Right. This kind of, mm-hmm as you say, the last night on earth, kind of making those last human connections in the, in a place that maybe doesn't feel conducive to it. Yeah. And I think like, that's a good one. Um, there's uh, you know, I think sometimes I, I think about games that like came out around the holiday season. So I always kind of, you know, I think I, I lean towards Nintendo a lot. Like I, I think mm-hmm. about Mario games and, um, the kind of more kid-friendly kind of cartoony stuff, juxtaposed Maybe to the games you got for horror. Christmas
1: as a kid, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, in that, in that regard, uh, you just opened like a memory for me. I would say mm. like, uh, Jack and Daxter feels Christmassy oh, to me because oh. that was the first game I got for the PS2. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you know what? That's actually, all right. I've got another question for you in the same vein. Mm. What games do you remember playing during, like, Christmas break? Oh, during Christmas break. You get a couple of weeks off from school. <laughs> you have no responsibilities. What game do you just, as you said, shotgun? <laughs> That's
1: true. Um, well, one of my earliest memories, I mean, I think this was pre-Christmas break as such because it would have been in elementary school, but it was when I got my very first game system, the GameCube. Uh, which I, I've written about this before, but it came with two games. Uh, one was the promotional Zelda Collector's Edition disc, which, like, I had no idea what kind of personal value that would have for me going forward. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, for those who don't know, it had the original Zelda and Legend of Zelda two, and Ocarina of Time, and a little known game called Majora's Mask. And people don't talk about this as much, but like a a thirty minute maybe demo of The Wind Waker, which yep. I played so many times front to back before I ever got a copy of The Wind Waker. So it was like a weird proto experience of what would also be a formative game for me. Um, and then the other one was Tack the Power of Juju, mm. which was like just such a magical foray for me into just the possibility of games and fun, silly platforming and exploring fantastical worlds when I really had no point of reference for the medium. So that was a fun thing to explore over the holidays. And then I think, like, I think for me, um, in a similar spirit to what you were talking about, like the games that I would shotgun or even just lose myself in over breaks, especially in like, my younger days of winter breaks would be Zelda games. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I talk now ad nauseum in every format about like the value of the story in games, but I think like the closest I get to the phenomenal experience that people oftentimes aspire to in the medium of being just totally submerged in the lived experience of exploring another world, that to me came as a touchstone with, um, like holiday gaming through Zelda worlds. So big, long adventures on the great sea to call back Wind Waker, uh, even for all of the crap that we have maybe rightly, but also cynically given it in the years since it came out, um, Skyward Sword. Yeah, uh, that was, I remember as a Christmas game. Yep, uh, One of the first like deep explorations that I did with my Wii going on an adventure through that world. Uh, so yeah, I, I think really like any game that came to me at Christmas and that invited me to set up, uh, set off on a big epic like adventure in a fantasy world. Like that's a nice vibe to just sink into when you have a couple of weeks to go on that adventure uninterrupted.
0: uh, I definitely did skyward sword. I remember like setting it up in, in my, uh, in the basement at my parents' house and just, I think uh, playing through that like a matter of days, just completely immersed in it. I remember, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if
1: you had this experience, but it's such a, uh, I guess now vintage Skyward Sword experience since it's been re-released on the Switch. Um, mm-hmm. but I remember I got it and I was so excited and I booted it up and it was what first new Zelda since Twilight Princess. Right. So yep. forget about it. I was foaming at the mouth for it. <laughs> I didn't have the, uh, the dumb pro upgraded version of the Wii mode. Yeah, duh, so I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't play it. And it was like, so what was like, it, like Christmas or, or yeah. Or boxing yeah. day or whatever. Yeah. Like Wii motion plus or something. We had to go find how to get the, like the super deluxe bonus version of <laughs> Nintendo's controller to play the one Nintendo game that people wanted to play on the Wii besides Wii sports. I, uh,
0: that just reminds me of another kind of holiday memory, which is my, parents lovingly getting me a gaming system but not understanding what a memory card was oh no um every every time i got a games i'm not Uh, like until until there was uh like onboard memory like internal hard drives um i would get a game system and then i would have to wait weeks before i could save any games oh my god so i have like a memory of playing crash bandicoot 3 and just replaying like the same the first five levels over and over again because I couldn't save. <laughs> and then um the PS2, I had Jack and Daxter and I had Final Fantasy X. And I couldn't I Final Fantasy ten. I couldn't turn my PS two off because I would get to like places <laughs> I'd never seen. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't lose it.
1: <laughs> oh no. Yep. that's uh, there's something so uh, deeply thematically resonant about that struggle with memory happening in Final Fantasy 10 of all games.
0: I know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trying to will the memory into existence. Jesus Christ. Just just keeping it. Yeah. Keeping it turned on until it's begging for death. Yeah, that's. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, that's a mood from back in the glory days before onboard memory and auto saves. That happened yep. to me with a uh, I don't even think it was not having a um a save file i forget the details of it now but there was a time in high school when like the god like the power had gone out or some weird like convoluted mess of circumstances had conspired so that if i wanted to play ocarina of time all the way through i had to do it like in one sitting (laughs) in one night um it might no. I know what it was. It was, it was that, that it was that genie's wish you made. <laughs> That's right. No, it was the monkey's paw. No one ever told me that monkey's paw would not work out really great for me. Yeah. Uh, had, but or something. It was that I was like trying to dust off and play through Ocarina of Time on my GameCube, and all of the memory cards that I could find had been like irreversibly corrupted. Mm-hmm. So I thought like, all right, fine. I'll have to sit down and try to chug it in a night. And then what happened was the power went out when I was like almost at the end of the first childhood arc. And I just had to call it a wash and be really sad, but Hey, we have a, an onboard memory of experiences like that in our lived gamer lives now. Right. So that's something. Yes, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. I think (laughs) I've, uh, yeah, the, the holiday memory of playing different games and, you know, I can kind of chart like me growing up. Uh, one of, one of my favorite, things. Like it was such a self-aware moment that I, I realized in real time. So I think I was like probably 16 or 17 and my parents had gotten me a PS3 and this was kind of well into the PS3's life, but I I didn't have one and it was the most expensive thing. So it's not something that I was like looking to buy on my own. Mm-hmm. So my parents got me a PS3 and uh, it came with um, Uncharted 3. And so I played that on Christmas day. And there's, there's two things I remember about that day. One was I remember being really excited that there's a line of dialogue in that game where Nathan Drake says, uh, lead on, McDuff. And his English <laughs> compatriot says, it's Leon. The line is Leon, McDuff. I'm uh-huh, so uh-huh. put out. And I, I remember thinking, all right, I, I'm interested in this game because of that pedantry that just happened that Um, is a very self-aware dan moment i love yeah well there was that and then the second one was before i played it so i guess this was the first one but it's the more interesting one so i put it second (laughs) so (laughs) the first the first thing i realized that day was i got two gifts i got the ps3 and i got an electric razor and Hmm. i used the razor first and i remember thinking Oh, I've turned a point in my life. I, I was more excited to <laughs> trim my beard than I was to boot up a new game system.
1: That's how you know you've become a man, Dan. That's, that's You can right. shave yeah. like a man and game like a man with Nathan Drake. Finally. <laughs> on his many drake on his Saving uh, the Drakes. Uncharted. Ride, does he ride Drakes? I, there aren't maps? Yeah. I've never yeah. played Uncharted.
0: That's it. No, that's just, you got <laughs> it in one. It sounds yeah. right.
1: <laughs> there we go. I knew I would. Oh. it's funny, too, because uh, like, I, I don't know if you have any games like this, but my early gaming memory, it it kind of bleeds together where I know as a kid, I would oftentimes be so excited for games. But because I was a, a little child with no disposable income of my own, mm-hmm. I kind of had to wait for whenever you know the parents were willing to give it to me or I could like talk them into getting it for me. And so I have games that. Like, it feels like Christmas just because I was so excited to finally have them and sit down Mm. and play them, even though I, like, at this point, I can't remember whether I literally got them for the holiday. So things like, um, I think we've talked about this before, but Super Mario Sunshine was one of those amazing games for me where like back in the era of Toys R Us when they had just like a little sequestered game alcove back before video games were even a real proper thing on a huge mass media scale. And they would have these demos running of games like Super Mario Sunshine. And so little Aaron as a kid would like look at this dumbfounded with that experience mm. of magic that you can only have like seeing the world of a video game before you've ever picked up a controller and your, your mind is just trying to do like the mental arithmetic of, wait, you mean like I can be involved in a world as colorful and magical know, as that?
0: I know exactly you know? what you're saying. And mm-hmm. I I'm sure you had the same feeling that I did. Cause when those kiosks existed, those games didn't feel real in the sense that mm-hmm. like, you could have them, you know, yes. it was like, yeah. oh, wow, there's way more than just the like 10 minutes I played at Toys R Us. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like it was totally metaphysically unreachable almost, mm-hmm. uh, which then added to the feeling of just like pure holiday joy and experience to be able to sit down with a full copy of this. Yeah, The other uh, example that I had off the top of my head, which is very in keeping with this tales of praxis series i buried myself in as i forget whether i ever told you this but that was very much my experience with tales of symphonia as well actually because yeah, here's another talk one about it, yeah. yeah so we hit toys r us back in the days of blockbuster like mm-hmm. i discovered and rented the crap out of tales of symphonia mostly because i was just so intrigued by its cover art um And I would play it, and I think I got held up at um, a point in the game that I just didn't know how to get past uh, on the renting. And I finally either exhausted myself or exhausted my parents with like perpetually renting this game that I couldn't figure out how to complete. Uh, And then to eventually like have them get me an actual copy where, oh, now I have this whole thing. Now I can experience and work through it all. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion to say how much that changed and
0: impacted my life given the time I've been spending with the series now. Well, it feel. I mean, it feels like different games. I don't know if, I don't know if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I remember I had a similar thing with Legend of Dragoon where my friend Alex and I, we would rent it from Hollywood video all the time. Mm-hmm. And because we would only, you know, have like a night over at each other's house, we would get to a particular point and then that would be it. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you reminded me of that. Uh, feeling with that blockbuster story but also with like the 30 minute wind waker demo that you talked about. sure yep. where you know i don't know when as a kid you realize that that's not all there is with it and i think when i finally bought legend of dragoon and i got to like the second disc i was like oh right there's three other discs like why did i think that it was so short (laughs) it's this weird
1: kind of mental block that i think only can happen either as a kid or when you're first getting exposed to games because, yeah, as you're recounting it, the experience is becoming more vivid for me again. It's this idea that, like... You don't even get the sense when you're sitting down and playing something like the Wind Waker demo as a kid with no other point of reference that you're only getting like a small window into the experience or you're Mm -hmm. getting this kind of teaser in the way that, you know, we would feel now if we sat down and played a demo for a game that was, you know, released on PSN or something like that. It felt much more like, like that demo was an entire game experience, so like I it didn't even raise questions for me of okay what's the broader context of the story or you know how are things going to unfold or where could things go from there it was just like almost the more nondescript kind of gameplay experience you would get from something like I don't like a shorter flash game in that era you yeah. know like obviously more filled out but like of that kind of more bite-sized context so then when you go down to set and play through the whole game, like you say, it's, it's almost like a totally different game. Like the context changes you experience it in just like a totally different sense uh, because there's, um, you know, just more to it in so many ways.
0: It's funny too, that you mention like demos on the PSN, because nowadays, like, I, I, I can't remember if you did this or if I, I think maybe you just waited, but when the final fantasy 16 demo came out, like the way they do it now, um, or at least the way square does it. Uh, Cause they did this with remake too. Like it'll basically just be like, you can play up to a point in the game and then when the full version comes out, you right. can just continue. And that wasn't how demos used to work. It used to just no. be here's, and actually sometimes I this wasn't the case with the wind waker demo because that was, you know, put out by Nintendo, but sometimes you would get um, builds of the game that weren't the way that it would be when it was released Mm -hmm. and that was really interesting because you It sometimes it would be two different games (laughs) you would you would play the demo and it would be like oh they didn't quite fix this bug or they didn't quite add this feature yet Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. when you play the game you're like oh where i I wish that was in the demo i had never seen that before
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great point yeah yeah kind of similar to the distinction between like original releases and then like patched or remastered releases now. But There's no
0: no patches back in the day. It was just demos in the game, no. and that was it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really is kind of a lost art in that way, isn't it? It's right. I hadn't thought of it because I really I, I don't play demos nowadays. Perhaps because they're structured in this way. But mm. demos now, especially by virtue of being able to just carry over your save data to when the game is fully released do feel much more just like a teaser of, oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to let you in
0: on this experience, but then we're going to cut you off at some point, right? Like you can get your fix
1: and then you have to come back for the real thing.
0: Either that or it's, and we'll go back to cynicism here for a second because (laughs) the, the, like the, the quote unquote demo that we get now is like open betas. So, um, and that feels like way more slimy to me because a demo back in the day, if you would get like a, a disc from PlayStation magazine. It was basically just, here's what you can, it was like an advertisement. Here's what you can expect when Mm -hmm. you buy the full game. But now it's like, uh, help, help us figure out the problems for no money. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh... That's what's happening with that, uh, that missing link kingdom hearts game right now. It's like all of the kingdom hearts people that I follow on Twitter and on YouTube, they're all so excited because obviously they got invited to be part of the beta. And I'm just so, uh, I think the you know scales fall from my eyes when i see stuff a little bit like that because i just think like they're just it's it's just like free publicity and like bug testing that you're doing Mm -hmm. and it just seems very i don't know like i mean it's cool that you get to play it but on the other hand like i don't know (laughs) It's interesting though
1: because like if 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 you're going to put on your Mr. Dan the Cynic hat, I'm going to put on my Aaron the Optimist hat. Please, uh, just to play devil's advocate because again, like I am I am so beyond the world of things like demos nowadays and open betas, but one thing that struck me as interesting because I think um, just from the armchair, I would have a perspective on it that's very similar to yours, but actually I'm sure he wouldn't mind me shouting him out uh, another guy who's a regular on the tales of praxis stream on with the terrible fates uh, twitch is uh, this guy grailz5 who is um really into the world of fighting games mm. and so I, I forget the game he was talking about I, I will have to see if i can find it so i can shout it out um but he was uh, invited to and involved in an open beta for a game but wasn't it
0: Was it Tekken? No, it wasn't
1: Tekken. It was, uh, it was one that I hadn't heard of. I would have remembered Tekken. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so he was, um, he was working through it and he was talking about how for him, it was this really interesting experience. If I remember right, because it's nice to be involved in kind of, a community of like-minded fighter gamers who are, you know, interested in being there uh, kind of from Jump Street, but also to him, it was kind of an interesting way of testing and refining his own, like evaluative intuitions about these games. Uh, Because, you know, if, if an open beta is run, right, as I understand it, you know, they tie it in with surveys and feedback so that you can really, if you put your mind to it and go into it with kind of the right perspective as someone who's involved in it, you can almost, selfishly use it from your perspective like yeah the company and the the creators are getting something but also you can sort of refine your intuitions in terms of a sense of like if you feel like something doesn't work quite right why is that like how might something Mm -hmm. be slightly better balanced uh and so when he gave examples of sort of like the pretty pointed criticisms that he was formulating for like different particular special moves of characters that didn't gel quite right with like the timing and formulas of the rest of the combat like it struck me as an interesting way for him to kind of compound and add another level to his involvement with like this uh this particular genre of games that he cared a lot about i might be putting words in his mouth but that was
0: what i got (laughs) from it at least no i guess it i mean like with anything it depends on the lens with which you look at it right because i can see Like even as, as you're saying that I'm thinking of, uh, missing link, comparing it to a fighting game in the sense that it's a huge community game, right? Like there's, there's so much that you have to do to interact with other people. So that is inherently different from, you know, open beta testing, a more narrative game, which I remember, uh, when so I'll start cynical and I'll end optimistic. So I remember <laughs> the best arc. when Baldur's Gate three, um, had not yet released. So, uh, Jeff, uh, had been playing, uh, I think it was the alpha. Like it was a really early build of it. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, like that is a definitely a much more narrative driven game. I mean, it's like a D and D campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Um, However, because it's such a D and D centric kind of game, there are so many systems and subsystems that need to be tested. Hmm. So on the one hand, like if Ubisoft was doing that, I would be like, pay your own people, you know, get, <laughs> get it figured out. <laughs> but, um, I think it's uh Larian, Larian studios who did Baldur's Gate three. That was a, an indie project that was like a labor of love. So, I can see the real benefit of like, all right, D&D heads, you know, like Jeff, like come and play this game and tell us what's wrong with it and what works so that we Mm -hmm. can make a game that we all like. And I think that's kind of cool. So I think it's the, it's the corporate side of it that bothers me, but the community side, I'm always going to love. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, on the corporate level, it's always going to
1: be frustrating when it's just an excuse to get free labor. I get that hard to get beyond that point of cynicism. But nice to find nuggets of optimism in there at least. <laughs> yeah. The fun games too.
0: So yeah, I, um, I think I'll, that's a good place for us to round it out. I will say that from what I've seen of uh missing link, it looks very cool. I'm um, it's a, it's a funny world we're in because there really aren't handhelds anymore. Um, and so the kind of, kingdom hearts entries like birth by sleep or 358 and a half days that would have come out on a handheld platform that are these kind of like side cools, you know, that, that provide more context for the upcoming numbered entry into the game. Um, they exist on mobile now, you know, so, uh, like union cross and kingdom hearts key and, um, dark road and now missing link, mm-hmm. uh, something that you kind of get a, you got to get caught up on either by playing it or like on YouTube recaps or something. So I'm, I'm kind of sussing out how I feel about that, but I will say, um, that in the midst of all of that coming out, another really nice optimistic thing that actually ties into something we were talking about the other week. Um, somebody, I was, I was kind of scrolling through Twitter and somebody had, um, had this wonderful thread where somebody just asked, like, why do people like kingdom hearts? And this person responded and said, because, you know, there's all these reasons, right. But then at the end they wrapped up and they had this beautiful thing where they basically said that if you look at modern Disney, and how tongue-in-cheek everything is, and how everything is marvelized and and Dan Harmonized and (laughs) turned into this kind of like meta-commentary on itself. Kingdom Hearts is a series that has every right to do that and yet never does and takes itself seriously at every Mm. single point. And I just thought, I wish I had thought of that because that's the perfect reason why it's my favorite series is because it always takes itself seriously and never pokes fun at itself. Um, and I, I just, so that's my, that's my kingdom hearts wrap up for the episode.
1: (laughs) That is a very you point. I I know. I think I mentioned this to you and I was talking about it on with the terrible fates stream a while ago Uh, because actually uh, that that same follower grail i mentioned i I had forgotten and he had to remind me and i was very embarrassed to be reminded that it was he who recommended it to me a while ago and i just totally forgot (laughs) um but i sat down with uh with a former analyst from with a terrible fate nate uh, randall last week and played this wonderful indie game i forget if it was this year but certainly in the last couple years slay the princess Oh yeah, Uh, you were telling me about that. Yeah, so very similar in the spirit of what you're talking about and what has been, and I'm sure will continue to be a theme with us in terms of moving from not even just cynicism, but like self-consciously deconstructive and tongue-in-cheek storytelling Mm -hmm. uh, to something that is more intrinsically sincere and trying to express something that is more constructive as a point, Um, specifically in the transition from, Uh, the model that is shown in the stanley parable which is a game that i know you and i both have a lot of affection for but is very Mm -hmm. deconstructive and tongue-in-cheek in in a lot of ways uh to exploring how you can use a lot of that same uh, kind of structuralist storytelling uh, and consideration of possibility in video games that to tell something that is more kind of Pointed and uplifting um so that that was a really fun experience i actually still have to finish that but i think there's yeah definitely something in the water about those sorts of series
0: that do those kinds of things that kind of uh like the post irony right like we've we've talked Mm. in private about like the bo burnham cycle of (laughs) you know first he was you know loud and boisterous and then he was deconstructing it. And now it's back to being genuine after having this like full circle. Right. And yeah, I, I hope that's where we are. Cause I get a lot more out of those genuine stories. So there's a, there's a nice holiday message, <laughs> play a genuine story,
1: <laughs> play a genuine story. Yes. And, uh, and get into the holiday spirit about it with community. If you can, I love that. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's a nice thing to be considering with, you and our friend and colleague, Matt, coming out here in a couple weeks, uh, because mm-hmm. another thing that's been on my mind is just how much the context in which we can play games can change our experience of this uh, medium. And we, we talked about it a little bit in terms of spoilers and how that can color your engagement with a game, but also just, as you said, like there's something kind of holiday-ish for those of us who are fortunate enough to play games over holiday breaks about sitting down and playing a long game in a single go virtually uninterrupted versus digesting a game in smaller sittings with time to reflect and talk about it in real life before you go back and submerge yourself within it Uh, sort of with the cadence that we've been doing either you know with the games that we've been streaming on Twitch uh, or with you know games that we've just been digesting more slowly over the year Um, and then add on top of that Kind of the the collaborative consumption of games, as we're going to have, you know, I'm sure on the stream when you guys are out here, of just like not having the single voice, but thinking about it in conversation with people as you're consuming it. I mean, I think uh, people spend a lot of time thinking about the different structures of games in terms of the artifact, whether it's single player or multiplayer, and what kind of story it tells, and perhaps less time on the different dimensions according to which. We can choose to play it, especially when it's a long game that invites many different kinds of play sessioning uh, and multiplayer or single-player engagement. So nice time to think about that as we veer into a headspace where we might uh, hopefully have the opportunity to do some communal gaming of more sustained and thoughtful sessions.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, there will be very soon because this will go out in a few days and then so i and matt will both be there on the 16th of december so thereabouts i'm sure we'll rope matt into a a podcast too because that would be fun to have him in. i'm sure
1: (laughs) he's always good for it yep (laughs) and he's a doctor now i don't think he was a doctor the last time
0: he was here dr matt
1: yes (laughs) dr matt dr mario that's
0: right (laughs) we will be dressed as Dr. Mario for the streets. exclusively. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, what have you, uh, what have you got coming up that you want to plug?
1: Uh, I, well, um, yeah, the people on the stream will know I'm, I'm working through actually a work of, uh, academic philosophy because I'm in the midst of applying to PhD programs. So actually something that is, related to the philosophy of games, but much more on the uh, like higher level theoretical side, which is still interesting, but definitely a different lens than we oftentimes study it uh, on with a terrible fate, which is part of the whole conceit of why we did with a terrible fate to dig further into the substance of these games themselves and how and why gamers engage with them in the way they do and why we love them so much. Uh, But it has been rewarding to step back and do more, strict philosophical work um and and remember what a convoluted but rewarding process (laughs) that is i am on the fifth draft of that so but i'm sure to the extent that it's something people want to talk about uh or even we want to talk about in the podcast in the future definitely do that um and beyond that yeah working through tales of graces f on the uh the tales of praxis stream still uh and i am cautiously hopeful that there will be some new written publications out on with a terrible fate before the end of the year uh, i of course am keen to get some more written publications done in the tales of praxis spirit uh i have a long backlog as i always do that's the great thing about being us dan we always have a long backlog mm-hmm. of games, games and yeah. then also a great backlog of things to say about them yep. uh but also yeah you know without teasing or spoiling anything we have a few uh new and old voices who are interested in contributing. So hopefully we ha- we'll have some new things along a few dimensions to share with you real soon coming up there. What about you? I know uh, you've already alluded to some, uh, some various things you have your fingers in these days.
0: Yeah. So uh, big change for me is that I'm, I'm streaming on uh, my channel. It's called Dai Mugen Dan, um, which is a pun on a billion things that I love. So, um, <laughs> But right now, um, playing uh, Pokemon Scarlet on there, getting ready for the DLC that's coming out, um, and uh, getting my Pokemon Rose show um, started up again too. So getting the Pokemon juices flowing. But uh, apart from that, I mean, those are the two big things. Um, So I think look forward to the thrilling conclusion of the uh, Diamond Pearl Platinum Uh, portion of the Pokemon Rose show and then we're going to be diving into Pokemon Black and White which is really fun because I haven't played it before and I'm currently playing it on stream so it's kind of real-time analysis plus um, some fun community injection much like I think you've been doing on Tales of Praxis (laughs) so it's uh, a lot of fun there and uh, there's nothing better than you know catching pokemon with friends
1: no doubt about that and you speak so well to the culture of it i'll be excited to uh, tune in and listen to the upcoming pokemon rose episodes as i know will be know the it. case for so many
0: fans thinkers and gamers well good well then enjoy the game awards for those of you who watch it and uh, for those of you who don't enjoy the trailers that come out afterwards <laughs> And for those of you who don't watch those, (laughs) uh, just enjoy yourselves.
1: Enjoy the holiday gaming. It's a nice time to even think about just what holiday gaming is in the first place and find your own way to express it and celebrate it on your own or with friends or
0: both. And with that, we'll see you next time.